Lord God, we thank you for this incredible day. Such a, a history-altering moment when you resurrected from the dead and you changed everything from then on. And God, we just come before you today and we ask you, even this morning, that you would open our eyes afresh to your amazing goodness to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Who likes to learn new things? Yes. Um, I learned a new thing this week. I learned a new word. Uh-oh. It's a, a new word. And uh, maybe you've never heard this word. This word was actually the Collins Dictionary 2022 word of the year. Anyone heard it? It's the word permacrisis. Anyone heard of permacrisis? Anyone? It's not got to do with perming your hair, no. No one's heard it? Oh, someone has out the back. Permacrisis. Not permaculture. Permacrisis. It's actually a description of the state that the world is in at the moment. And also the state that many of our lives probably feel they're in at the moment. The definition of permacrisis is an extended period of instability and insecurity, especially one resulting from a series of catastrophic events. Who can relate to that? The last five years of our lives have been like that. One catastrophic event after another. If you think back to 2018-19 when there were the bushfires that went through Australia and the, the absolute turmoil they caused, the trauma they caused in so many people's lives. And then uh, on the back of that, then we hit the pandemic. We won't say much more about that, but we understand the trauma that caused for so many people. And then in the middle of all of that going on, we started to have floods everywhere in Australia over and over again, but not just Australia. Then you turn on the news and You'd see America or you'd see Europe. Or, and then there was periods of drought that went through places and lakes went so low that ancient cities were un unveiled and, and just incredible things over and over again. And then we've had change of governments. We've had cost of living rises. We've had an energy crisis. And obviously we've also had a war start in Europe for the first time in however many years. That we, in my lifetime, I didn't think I would see a war like that again, um, which is just one crisis after another, as we describe it, perma crisis. You add into that the the worries about global warming and the worries about the future and what's in front of us, economic depression, interest rate rises going up and up again, again and again, and all of that this causes. And so for many of us, the everyday th things that we do every day, sometimes they just feel like too much. I don't know if you've ever felt like that. You just feel like, oh, it's just too much going on. A and we're just thinking, this is not the life that I hoped for. A life with so much pressure, so many things, unspoken things all around me that I don't know how I'm going to manage them or deal with them. So this idea of permacrisis for so many of us, is a state of hope lost. 
I'll say that again. This idea of permacrisis for so many is people that have lost hope. A sense of, I'm just trying to survive. I'm just trying to get through the day as it comes and as it presents to me. I'm not going to try to worry about anything else. I just need to get through what's in front of me. In, in, in so many ways, how do you deal with life when everything does feel so hopeless? There's so much that goes in our, on in our world today. I don't know about you, but sometimes I just shake my head when I watch the news. Some people in our, our home don't even want to watch the news because it's just bad news after bad news. But you just, you just shake your head and you go, is there any hope? in our world today. And then the thing that I want to share with you today is that I want you to know that this feeling of permacrisis, this feeling of, of lost hope, is not something that's uncommon to God. And it's not something that God is silent about or passive about, for that matter. And it's actually what Easter Sunday is all about. In so many ways, if we look at the Easter story, as even as Damien read earlier, the disciples of Jesus were having their own permacrisis. And the, the amazing thing about their situation, you think about it, for, for three and a half years, they had had all sorts of ups and downs. They'd been on a roller coaster. They'd seen amazing miracles. They thought they'd die at certain times in storms, and, and then Jesus would come through, and then all this sort of stuff. And then finally, the... They saw Jesus crucified. But the amazing thing is that the Easter narrative tells us that no matter how dark it gets, no matter how dark it looks, there is always hope. And so I want to read, and I want you to read with me, the Easter story from Luke, or the resurrection story from Luke 24. And... I'm going to, we're going to have a look at it and what the disciples' experience can teach us when we find ourselves in this place of permacrisis. It says there, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. Now this is, I'll just stop there for a moment. Just understand that in Jewish culture, they didn't embalm bodies. So what the women were going there to do is to put spices on it so that you couldn't, you couldn't smell the flesh rot, rotting, decomposing. So these, these women who are disciples of Jesus are not going there with great hope that Jesus is going to be risen. They're going there expecting to find a dead body. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. 
It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. So think about that for a moment. They've just told them that Jesus has risen again. Jesus had told them before he died that he would rise again. On the, and they're like, this is crazy. This is nonsense. So what state were they in? They weren't in a state of faith and belief. They were in, a, in not a good place. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Now, the, that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus. about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened in these last days, in these days? What things, he asked, Jesus asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. I'll just stop there for a moment, think about it. These disciples, before Jesus died, believed he was the Messiah. And it had been claimed. Peter had said it himself and they all agreed. And now all of a sudden he's not a Messiah anymore. He's a prophet. And then they said, The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped. There's those words. We had hoped. Sounding like they have lost hope that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since this all took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. That's incredible. So there's, there, the disciples are in this place of confusion. They're in this place of disarray. They don't know what to believe or what they believe. They had hoped so much in Jesus. They had put all their faith in him. They had given up so much. And, and all that they have right now, all they're holding on to right now is doubt. Is he, what, we had hoped that he would be the Messiah, but he obviously wasn't. So what's going on? But now... His body's not even there. They, they're even not sure. Does that mean he's risen from the dead? Or it, what, has someone stolen him? Who knows? And we haven't even started to think about the grief they had started to feel because they had given their life. Many of them had given up everything to follow Jesus. They, they had, for the last three and a half years, they had laid their life down and said, we'll follow you wherever you go. And all of a sudden, their rabbi, their master, their leader was dead. And so they're dealing with 
the grief and the loss of him being not with them anymore. Add to that, you think of someone like Peter who ran to the tomb. Peter's also dealing with a sense of failure because he had denied Jesus three times. And on top of that, you throw in the fact that there's only 11 of the apostles now. There were 12, but Judas had betrayed Jesus. So it's not just the grief of losing their leader and their master and their rabbi, but at the same time, how do they reconcile the suicide of a friend even though that he had betrayed Jesus? But he was still their friend and now he's gone and they don't even have the opportunity to confront him on what he's done because he's suicided. So you think about it, in no uncertain terms, these disciples were in permacrisis. They, all hope was lost. Everything they had known for the last three years, every time Jesus had come through for them, whether they were in a boat going through a storm or, or um, they were being attacked by mobs or all those things, that now he wasn't there. And everything they had built their life on, the, the sacrifices they had made, the miracles they had seen, seemed to count for nothing. They had, pope, they had pinned all their hopes on Jesus, all their aspirations had gone. You think about it, for some of them they had been hoping and they thought Jesus represented to them a, a ticket to social and economic freedom. That if he's the Messiah, then this is going to be good because he's going to become the leader of Israel and then we're going to be his right-hand men. So that means we get all the good stuff. So they're thinking, this is, this is good for us. We're, we're just lowly fishermen and now we're going to be rulers of Israel. And even for some of them, they, they were pinning their hopes on riding his coattails to all sorts of great things because this was the Messiah. But now all that seemed to be gone. Whatever he represented to them, the fact was that everything they could see, everything they could feel, everything they could hear around them at that time, the situation, the circumstances they were in, made them feel that it was all over. It's all done. It's all dusted. The roller coaster ride was over. The, the disciples were now facing their biggest challenge in life, not just to their faith, but to their life. And probably the question on all of their lips was, what do we do now? We know in one story... We hear the fact that, that Peter decided, well, I'm going back to fish. And a whole bunch of them went back fishing. But in these, these women who, who um, were there, they decided, well, we're going to make good of a bad thing. And so we're going to take spices and prepare his body. And I, I think about their situation and where they're in. And many of us are no different to them. The same kinds of questions fill our minds. What do we do now? What does the future hold for our world? How do we deal with a war in the Ukraine? How do we deal with, you know, in our area, building nuclear submarines? Are they doing that because they think there's going to be a war in our area? That they're preparing for it? How do we deal with that? How do we think about that? How, what, what are we going to learn from the experience of the disciples about how we deal with being in permacrisis.
I want to share with you just a few quick things. And the first thing I believe we can learn is that new ways or new days require new ways. The fact is our world is changing. And in all the years I've been alive, people have always been worried about the future, not knowing what is going to happen. And it's a, the world is continually transitioning. And in our, in our passage in Luke 24, we, we read the story of the women who said, In their fright the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, and the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, he has risen. The women had gone to the tomb to do what they knew was the right thing to do, which was bring some spices, make sure the body doesn't smell, make sure it's, 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 everything's okay, we respect and honour him. But they weren't living with eyes of faith. They had gone back to their old ways of thinking, their old ways of doing things, and the, the, the angel declares to them really clearly that it's a new day. He says really straightforward, why do you look for the living amongst the dead? In other words, this is, this is not a day to prepare a body that's been dead because as Jesus told you, he would rise again. What are you doing here? What are you doing here looking for a dead body when you know he told you that he would rise again on the third day? The angel reminded them to think about and to remember what Jesus had told them. It's really important for us to understand that God's character and his purpose is not changed by the world's trouble or our problems. So we look around the world around us and we think, how are we going to deal with this? How, you know, and how am I going to cope with this? And it's like we try to take things into our own hands and do things in our own strength. But God's saying to us, why do you look for the living among the dead? The, the answers are not found in how you can deal with the problems that are going on in your life. The answer is found in my words to you, to my promises to you, to who I am. That's where the answer is found. God makes it very clear to the women that the answer is not found in old dead traditions but reminds them to remember the words Jesus gave them. They were choosing to do it in their own strength rather than wait on God and believe in his promises. So when our world caves in and when everything around you, you, you worry about all the things going on, God's word to you is don't look to those, those things, look to me. Remember what I've said to you. Remember what I've told you. Remember the promises I have given you. Our hope, the hope of the Christian, is not in a comfortable life. But rather, our hope is in the God who gives us life. This is what we need to remember. This is the the new opportunity that God has got before us is that we can know that our God is the one who gives us life. We don't get life from the things that happen around us. We get life from God. And this is what Jesus rose again for. And the incredible thing is this is, this is a, a theme throughout the Bible. 
this idea of new days require new ways. You remember the story of Lot and his wife in Sodom and Gomorrah. And God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah and they were the only ones saved. And they were told as they leave, do not look back. Do not look back because if you do, you'll be turned to pillars of salt. And so we know the story that Lot's wife did look look back and she was turned to a pillar of salt. Now the simple, it's like fairly full-on story, but the simple truth there is that God is all about new ways and new days. He's about creating new life. And yes, sometimes the way to new life is through death, but God is all about new life. And so he doesn't want us to be looking back to old days and old ways of handling things. He wants us to look forward to him. And I'll talk about that more in a moment. But the second thing we need to understand is that God is always at work. In John 20, verses 3 to 10, it talks about what happened when Peter came to the tomb in a bit more description. And it says, Peter therefore went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen cloths lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there. And the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also he saw and believed it's really interesting that they would focus on this cloth that they wrapped around Jesus head and why did they focus on the fact that it was folded Uh, in Jewish custom of that day there was a really interesting custom where between masters and servants and so when the master would come and sit at the table and eat lunch or dinner He'd sit there and he'd eat his meal and if he was called away to something, what he would do is he would fold his napkin and put it down. And if he folded his napkin and put it down, it was a sign to his servant that I'm not finished here yet. I've still got work to do. I'm going to come back and finish this meal. So don't pack anything up. Leave it as it is and I'll come back and finish it. But if he scrunched up the napkin and just threw it down all scrunched up, then the servant would know it's time to clear the table. So when they describe the, the handkerchief around his head folded neatly and the disciples saw it, the, the word that, or the message that God was sending to them is like, I'm not finished yet. I haven't finished. I'm still working. I will be back. You think of the encouragement that it would have been to them that symbol to see that God is still at work. And it's a message to us as well today that no matter what our situation looks like today, we need to understand that God is always at work. He's not scrunched up the napkin and thrown it down and said, that's it, I'm done. No, he is still working on our behalf. He is still moving. He he is continually active. He knew exactly what the disciples were feeling and he gave them a small sign to encourage them and put them back on track. As our passage says, 
he went, went in also and he saw and believed. We need to understand and believe God is never scratching his head and saying, what on earth is going on? How am I going to deal with this? God always has a plan. He knows exactly what's happening and knows exactly what he is going to do next. This is our God. And, and maybe sometimes, like Damien shared before about Mary and the gardener and not having her eyes open, is maybe sometimes we don't see what God is doing because we're too busy worrying and doubting. Is that right? Rather than jumping on with what God is saying to us and believing it and standing firm in it. You know, the very act of crucifixion and burial, the Bible tells us for that three days Jesus was working. He was, he was overcoming sin and death. He was taking back the keys of hell. He was doing all those things so that we could have freedom and relationship with God again. You need to understand that God is always fighting for you. Sometimes you can sense it, but other times you just have to trust him at his word. You have to believe that my God is a God who fights for me, who never stops working, that the, the napkin is folded and, and he is telling us, I'm at work, I'm going to be back, it's going to be all right. It's really important for us that no matter what we're going through, sometimes we don't need to focus on the big stuff because that becomes overwhelming. But we just got to focus on the little stuff. Let me say, I'll say from my point of view, sometimes my focus is on the fact that, God, thank you for the breath in my lungs. The little fact that I'm still breathing. We live close to the beach here and sometimes the, the little thing is walking down to the beach and seeing a sunrise or a sunset and saying, God, thank you that you haven't finished. That your faithfulness to me is the very fact that there is a new day in the little things that we understand that God is always working on our behalf. And the last thing that we learn from the disciples how to deal with permacrisis is to take every opportunity to focus on Jesus. In Luke 24, in that story of the people walking to Emmaus, it goes on to say, by this time they were nearing Emmaus and the end of their journey. Jesus acted as if he were going on, but they begged him, stay the night with us since it's getting late. So he went home with them. As they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them. Suddenly their eyes were open and they recognized him. Isn't that incredible. Suddenly, all of a sudden, he breaks the bread. Maybe they were in the room at the Last Supper. We don't know. But in that moment, as they shared a meal with Jesus, their eyes were open. Easter is one of those times in the Christian calendar where we remember Jesus and all that he has done for us. And when we remember Jesus, we remember that there is never a hopeless situation with God. No obstacle, no problem, no sickness, no war, no economic depression, no pandemic, no issue is too big for him. Because the reality is he defeated them all and rose again. And sin no longer has dominion over our lives if we put our faith in him. This is the challenge. We serve a God who has given us a new way to live. Paul describes it in 
Romans as the just shall live by faith. In Hebrews 12, 1 to 3, it explains this new way of living, this new life that we're called to, this life of faith. Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Now, what that's talking about is Hebrews 12 follows Hebrews 11. Does anyone know what's in Hebrews 11? Faith, the, the great hall of faith, the hall of fame of faith people. And so it goes through there, by faith this person did that, by faith this person did that. And this great list of people that go before us that lived by faith. And so they're, they're cheering us on, they're, they're, they're surrounding us, they're wanting us to succeed. And, they, and he, so therefore since we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, these great cloud of people who live by faith, he says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Worrying about the future is a sin that so easily entangles, isn't it? It's a thing that can trip us up and get us not focused on Jesus. But it says very clearly, and let us run with perseverance the race marked for us. What does it tell us to do? Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What does it tell us to do? Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I'm going to ask the band to come. But I want us to take a moment and an opportunity in this time, no matter what you're going through, the best thing we can do when we find ourselves in permacrisis, when we find ourselves overwhelmed, is not to try to work out a way that we can get out of it. The first and the best thing we can do is to fix our eyes on Jesus. The first and the best thing we can do is to come back to Him and say, God, I need you. I trust you in this. I realize you've not given up, that you're still working, you're still moving, you're still doing. You are the God where there is no hopeless situation. You are the one who has the answer. If I consider you and what you endured for me, that will help me not grow weary and lose heart. If I fix my eyes on you, I will understand the truth that you have got my back and you will bring me through. And it might not look the way I want it to look, but it will be right. And so this Easter Sunday, this Resurrection Sunday, I'm just going to ask the band to play and to sing but I want you to take a moment to fix your eyes on Jesus you might want to close your eyes and see him as you you picture him you might want to stand you might want to sit you might want to kneel whatever you feel but why don't we take a moment to celebrate the fact that there is always hope with our God he is not finished. He is working on your behalf. You might not see him working. You might, you might be like Mary. You might be like these disciples walking to Emmaus. You don't see him even though he's right there with you. But pray, God, open my eyes that I might see you. That I might see you working in my life, doing what you, only you can do. God, help me to see you because when I see you, I know there's always hope.
So why don't we take a moment just to fix our eyes on Him. Take a moment to consider Him who has done it all for us, who paid the price, who broke the power of sin and death, that there is nothing that can separate you from His love because of what He has done. So let's take a moment to look to Him today.